and we're reading from Luke chapter 3. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Cephas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. As it is written in the book of the word of Isaiah, the prophet, the voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord for the straight paths to him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough way is smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham our father, for I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, The man with two tunics should share with him who has none, and the one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. And some soldiers asked him, what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't cause people, accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their heart if John might possibly be the Christ. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with them any other words, John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod, the Tetrarch, because of Herodias, brother's wife, and all other evil things he had done, Herod added, added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. Well, back when uh, my girls were quite little and we were living uh, back in Forbes, uh, living on a bit of acreage just outside of town, and uh, my girls uh, were learning to swim for the first time. Uh, we tried this in the local swimming pool, but after a while we decided that it might be really helpful for us to have our own pool. The idea was that the girls would slowly get more and more confident in the pool as they played around and eventually they would build up some water confidence. So I went out and purchased a swimming pool. Uh, it was a, an above ground swimming pool, one of those type of ones that has a blow up ring around the top, 
but it was quite large. It was big enough to be able to put five or six adults in and they could swim quite comfortably in that space. However, I did have one fairly major mishap when I first tried to set it up. Like most above ground pools, it was designed to be uh, set up on a, on a layer of soft sand, and um, which was levelled out really well. And unfortunately, I worked out that fact the hard way. When I set up the pool initially, I uh, fenced it off from our two dogs that we had at the time and spread out a couple of tonnes of beach sand. Uh, but I, the trouble was I didn't put a lot of effort into making it level. I thought, oh, close enough's good enough. It'll be okay because the water will find its own level anyway. And sadly, it did. Uh, the first time I tried to fill up the pool, I put the hose in as you do, and I let it fill up for two or three or maybe even four hours as it slowly rose, the water level rose. Uh, it was starting to look really good. It wasn't until the pool was three quarters full when all of a sudden the weight on one side of the pool was so great because of the uneven ground it was built on that it pushed down that wall and a tidal wave ensued uh, so big that the pool was emptied within minutes. It was an extremely dramatic sound as the water rushed out of the pool and gushed all over the place. I hadn't taken the time to make sure that it was built on perfectly level ground. I thought good enough would be okay, but it wasn't. Sadly, there are many Christians or people who call themselves Christians who believe that their lives are level enough. They believe that as long as they go to church and say the occasional prayer, well, God will bless them. Like my first attempt at preparing that pool, good enough isn't close enough isn't good enough. If your foundation is not built on level ground, then you won't be able to stand. Some might be holding on to the fact that they've been going to church all their lives. They might be holding on to the knowledge that their parents and their grandparents were strong believers, were well-respected people in our community. Some might be holding on to their own good moral behaviour. But unless our lives are built on perfectly level ground, it doesn't matter how good we look from the outside. Unless our lives are built on level ground, we too will be washed away when the day, on the day that Christ returns. When you're building any type of building, it, it doesn't matter whether it's a, a chook shed or, or a high-rise building. If, it, if you don't have a level foundation, anything that comes after it will not be level. That's why when people build things, the amount of time you put into preparing your foundations is the most important time because anything that comes after it is crooked if the foundations aren't level. This morning we are being reminded that the foundation of our faith must be in Christ, the only level ground to be found. Otherwise our faith will not be secure 
and it might as well be on sinking sand. In this morning's passage, John is preparing. Uh, John is preparing the way for Jesus' public ministry. John is preparing the expectation of God's people. Thirty years had passed since those angels had lit up the night sky for the shepherds. It had been a long time since the night sky was filled with voices proclaiming the good news of the coming Messiah. So John was sent to remind God's people of the coming King and to prepare their expectations of what Jesus was coming to do. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, Tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Iturea, and Trachonitis and Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. As Luke begins, he sets the scene here by mentioning who was in power at the time. He mentions five world powers, leaders of the people, and two priests. And he's doing this to show that these events happened in real world history. They are grounded in, in his, the history of our earth. These are real events. And John here is the last Old Testament prophet. He is the one bringing a final message of judgment and salvation before the Messiah comes. He's fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah 40. A voice of one calling out in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked, hill, crooked roads shall become straight, the rough rays smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. For so long, God's people had been content with mere outward observance of God's law. For so long, God's people had found confidence in rituals and observances rather than the living God. And so God raised up John from among his people to proclaim the good news of the coming King, King Jesus, to make straight the paths for him, to prepare the hearts of the people to receive the coming King. And John's warnings uh, warning of God's, to God's people is to repent, to turn from their sins, to turn away from their sins and turn to Christ, to put away their confidence in their earthly possessions, their religious observances, and to find it in the coming King. Now, John's church growth strategy is not something that you're likely to see anywhere else. Uh, he's out in the wilderness, he's by all rights in the middle of nowhere and he has these huge crowds flocking to him. So you would expect him to greet these crowds with kind words and welcome them in, wouldn't you? But no, that's not John's style as the last Old Covenant, Old Testament prophet. He calls them a brood of vipers 
and says, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? From the outset, John is warning the people that their understanding of what Jesus was coming to do needed to be set. They needed to understand why Jesus was coming. John is saying, if you want to follow the Christ, if you want to serve the King, then you need to walk the walk as well as talk the talk. He says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. John was saying, don't start with any of that Abraham is my father business because that just isn't going to work. Unless your faith is in the coming king, you will not be able to stand. The descendants of Abraham are descendants of Abraham through faith in the coming king. In January, Tamara, the girls and I, uh, made the brave decision to go off to CMS Summer School on just a week after the Blackheath bushfires had been through the area. And as you can probably remember, although it feels like such a long time ago now, doesn't it, January? But as you would probably remember, the bushfires around Blackheath were quite severe. And so uh, knowing that bushfires were still burning in the area, I was regularly checking the RFS app and checking online to make sure that the fires in our area weren't getting any worse. If the fire came close, I wanted to know as soon as possible so I could hook on the van and get out of it, get out of danger's way, so I could flee the situation. But fleeing from God's wrath isn't as easy as fleeing from danger because the danger is in our hearts and it follows us wherever we go. No one can run from God's wrath. No one can escape it in our own strength. The only hope that anyone has is to stop running from God in fear and to start running to God for mercy to turn from our old ways and to turn to Christ, to build our faith on his level foundation. The very straightforward and somewhat blunt message that John had been preaching out in the wilderness by the power of the Holy Spirit seems to have made an incredible impact by this point on the whole of the crowd. And they cried out, what should we do then? And so John told them, give to those who are in need. You have two tunics, give to those who don't. He said, do not steal to the tax collectors. He told the soldiers to be honest in all of their dealings. Following the Lord requires us to be and do more than just outward religious observances. Following the Lord requires us to worship the Lord with all of our lives. It's an act of worship every time we turn from sins that are tempting us 
that are tempting our hearts. When we respond in kindness instead of anger. When we put the needs of others before ourselves. When we turn away from temptations that do not honour our Lord and King. This is what the work of the Holy Spirit looks like in our hearts. Living for Jesus requires us to live in the light of his mercy, in the light of the mercy that we've received through his work on the cross. Even in the areas of our lives that no one else sees or even knows about. As John's words continued to challenge this crowd, many began to wonder, could this incredibly oppressive man be the Christ? And so, not wanting God's people to be confused, John answered them, saying, One more powerful than I will come, the throngs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This morning, as we have heard about John preparing the way for the Lord, preparing the hearts of God's people to see their need for a saviour, we have seen that the good news of Jesus is good news for those who see their need to repent and turn to the coming King. But it is really bad news, terrifying news for those who don't. When Christ came, he came to separate the wheat from the chaff. He came to separate those who belong to him from those who reject him. He came to refine us through the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, through hardships, through trials, as he shapes us to be more and more like his son. Through faith in Christ, through trusting in the promise, through faith in God's king, the king of kings, we become new creations. We turn from our old ways and God works in our hearts and makes us more like Christ. If our faith is in Christ, we are no longer belonging to this world. Our lives should look radically different. Our lives should be marked by repentance as we see our need for, a savior, for our Saviour. And the love of Christ that now fills our hearts should be overflowing, should be visible in the way that we care and love and interact with each other, but also how we care and love for those in our community. So as we hear these words this morning, what are the paths that need straightening in our lives? What are the valleys that need to be filled in? What are the roads that need straightening? 1 John 1.6 says that if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, 
We lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we are in Christ, if if our confidence is in Christ, then it will affect the way that we live. It will change the way we make decisions. It will change the way we react when we are overtired and stressed. Of course, we won't do this perfectly. No one does apart, has ever done it apart from Christ. But there will be a marked difference between how we react and how those of the world will react. Are there areas in our lives where God's light has not yet shined in? Is there areas in our lives where we've kept a corner of pride in our own good works, in our own moral behaviour, in who we are or how people view us? Is our confidence in Christ or have the worries and concerns of this life caused our hope to drift to other things? It can be easy in times of crisis when our world is in upheaval, to default to trusting in earthly things, to do a stop take and go, I'm okay, I have enough money, I have enough whatever that I need, and rather trusting that God will provide all that we need, to rely on our storehouses rather than our God who provides when God called, and so when John called God's people a brood of vipers out in the wilderness, he did so because they didn't know the truth. They believed that they were okay on the basis of being descendants of Abraham and being people who observed the outward rituals of the law. They were looking for a saviour, but they didn't know why God's king had come to save. They were looking for salvation from oppression from the Romans, but they didn't realise their desperate need to have the sin in their hearts removed from their lives. This morning, may we be people who consciously turn to Christ, who consciously turn away from sin, who recognise those temptations in our lives and consciously turn away from them and to Christ. May we be among those who stop running from God in fear and instead run to him for mercy. May our lives be marked by the saving faith that the Holy Spirit is working in our lives and the love that has been shown to us by our Saviour. May the Holy Spirit make straight paths for Jesus to work in each of our hearts as we live and serve and work for our King. We pray this in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Lord, We all recognise that there are areas of our lives 
that we have kept from you. Areas in which we still struggle with sin and temptation. Areas in which maybe we react in anger when we should be showing love and patience. Maybe we make decisions that are not honouring to you. Lord, we pray that you would work in our hearts this morning, that you would make us more like your son. We pray that you would give us a clear understanding of who Christ is and what he came to do. We pray that our faith might be grounded on level ground. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.